0: Hallelujah. I thank thank the Lord for His presence tonight. I thank the Lord for His presence always in our life. In Jesus' name, what would we do without His presence? Hallelujah. What would we do without His presence? I have no idea. I know what I lived like before without it, and I don't want to ever go back to that. Blessed be His name. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Um, I want to get kind of right into it tonight, but first I do want to honor our pastor, I love him and his family so much, and I'm so thankful for them, and I'll just say that um, I don't recall in recent years seeing him so enthused or excited about this upcoming year, and what God's going to do with this church, and what God wants to do with his people here, and I'll say in a conversation with Tom Duso after this morning service, I think he put it very well, and he said last year was kind of a, a feeling of unease. But this year is a feeling of anticipation, and I feel that. And I know when people that I'm talking to feel that, and it's because what God wants to do this year with this congregation and this church, we don't have all this land for nothing. We don't have this new building for nothing. God is going to do amazing things with this congregation and this church. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, I'll just say that um, the word that God's put on my heart tonight is something that he actually put on my heart about a year ago. And I actually preached it two different places, but within the last two or three, well, maybe four or five months, he's kind of changed it up for when the appropriate time was for for us in this congregation. And I'll say I see why now And the messages that we've heard, the great messages that we've heard the last week uh, from Brother Loami Diaz last week, Brother Fazel today. Even what Brother Jordan brought in a, in a short time during prayer, what he was exhorting is, is what's on my heart tonight and, and what I want to bring forth. So I know God wants to move tonight. I'll be brief because I know God does want to move tonight in us. So if we could stand for the reading of the word, I'm going to start with 1 Kings chapter 16, 29-33. through 33. And it says, And in the 30 and eighth. And in the 30 and 8th year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 20 and 2 days. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass, as if it had been a a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. That he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshiped him. And I just want to make note of that, if we can go back to that just for one second. And it says that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians. I only like to refer to Jezebel as a princess because I don't think she was ever, ever, ever worthy of being a queen of Israel. So I'll refer to her her tonight as as princess. But it says, Ethbaal, the king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal and the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. And we're going to go a couple chapters up to 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 through 3. But I do want to make note of the fact that Asa was the king of Judah at that time. Asa was trying to keep righteousness and restore righteousness in Judah while Ahab was tearing down Israel. That will be important in this message tonight. And in 1 Kings 19, 1 through 3, It says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow, about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. And with the help of the Lord tonight, I just want to preach for a few minutes on on the title, The Princess or the Prophet. The Princess or the Prophet, if you'll pray with me. Lord God, in Jesus' name, we seek your presence. I seek your word tonight, Lord God, to continue to speak through us, Lord God, to our culture, to our society, to our friends and families, Lord God. In Jesus' name, I pray that your words come forth through your vessel tonight, Lord God. Let it be heard and prick our hearts. In Jesus' name, I pray, I give you thanks. Amen. You can be seated. The princess or the prophet? And I would just start tonight with one question. Who has the loudest voice in your life? The princess with the hectic lifestyles that we live, the day-to-day challenges that we face, school, work, keeping up with our neighbors. Is that the loudest voice in our life, our bank accounts, our retirement accounts? what we are are struggling to do every day, day in and day out, that takes up all of our time? Or is it the prophet? Is it this word of God? Is it his word? Is it what the prophet has said? Is it our time alone with God? Which one of those is the loudest voice in our life? This word right here is what I want to be, the loudest voice in my life. So we can take a look, look first at, Jezebel, and I want to talk about her, the princess tonight, in a little bit different manner than what it's usually preached at, and it's usually taught how Jezebel took a stronghold over a person, over Ahab, what she did. But I want to talk about how the princess's stronghold has come across and taken over our culture, and it's taken over our culture. So not just the person, but the lives that we live each day, and the lives that we go about, and we live for our children and for us. That's what I want to talk about, what we see and how we live our day-to-day lives, the way that she has put a grip on our culture and changed the way we live every day of our lives. So not so much the way that she took a hold of Ahab, but our culture and what we see in this country and see in this world and in our lives. So she came into into this marriage being raised up as a weapon formed against Israel. She was raised up as a weapon from birth, to, as formed against Israel, brought up to tear down Israel. Meanwhile, Judah was trying to stay strong. But Ahab, who it says became the worst of all the kings that had been taking Israel away from God. So she was raised up as a weapon against them, learning about Baal, learning about the ways of Baal and all these false gods. That's what she was being taught as a princess in Zidonia. That's what she was being learned all her life. She may not have known where she was going or what she was going to do, but she was being raised up to tear down Israel, to tear down Ahab, and to put a culture in Israel that would turn its eyes and ears from God. And not listen to the prophets anymore, but listen to that culture that was put in place by Baal and other false prophets. They didn't know. The Israelites didn't know what was going on. They didn't want that. They didn't ask for somebody to come into Israel and change everything that they had known to change all the stories that they had heard all their lives about Yahweh, about God. They didn't know that that's what was going to happen, and they didn't ask for that. It's just what happened. It's just what took place in their day-to-day lives. And the next thing they know, they're caught up into it. All of a sudden, idols of Baal are going up in their homes and in their areas that they lived and in their neighborhoods. They go through their day-to-day lives, and then they see idols of Baal coming up and growing up in their lives. That's not what they asked for. That's not what they wanted, but that's what the princess brought into their life. That's what all of a sudden became the way of life in Israel. That's what all of a sudden became the standard by which everybody lived their day-to-day lives. Yahweh? I don't know. I don't know about Yahweh anymore. Now I see Baal. That's who we're putting up. That's who we're worshiping. So yeah, I've heard the stories, but this is what we're being told to worship. This is what we're being told is the new way to do things. This is what we're being told is our life now. So it's what they saw every day. Meanwhile, the prophets are growing silent. God's voice is growing silent. And they're being used to this, this worship of Baal. This worship of this new false idol and God's voice is growing silent in their lives, in their households, to their children. Now what is it they hear? What is it they're listening to? What are they speaking when they go out day to day? Who are they talking to? What are the words coming out of their mouth? It's no longer led by God. It's no longer anointed by God. The prophets are no longer the loudest voice in their life. Their prayer life is no longer what it once was. It's idols of Baal that they see each day. So we see this, that we see that Jezebel was raised up to do this, to tear down this nation and to change the culture that Israel had known, that Judah was fighting to hang on to, that Judah wanted to hang on to. And, and we see that in this country, in this day and age, so many people were afraid of the princess. So many people are afraid of, of, of hearing God and living for God. That we, we see a change in our culture and our children's life and in what we see each day. And I just want to share a few minutes because I think somebody needs to hear this. A few stories of, of why we don't have to be afraid of this princess. Why we don't have to be afraid of this culture. And it's a few stories. One is a, um, an evangelist that I saw a video of that was raised in a, in a witchcraft home. Raised in a home that, that worships Satan. And that's what, how he lived his life, and that's all he knew in Brooklyn, New York is where he was from. And that's what he went around and doing and raised himself up through this this lifestyle, through this witchcraft. And then the church, the satanic church. And it talks about how he became a high priest in the satanic church. And he talks about how he would go through the neighborhoods and how he would put principalities and pray them into these neighborhoods of uh, of. Uh, alcoholism, of drug addiction, prostitution, whatever it was. And he would see these neighborhoods decline. And he would see them be deteriorated and fall apart. That's what he saw and that's what his job was. He had never even heard about Jesus. Had never even learned about Jesus. Had never even studied or or talked about God. It wasn't even anything in his life. That's what he knew and that's what he did. And he went through these neighborhoods doing this all the while raising up through these ranks. And he said that he would love to do, put curses on what he called were so-called Christians. He said people would come to him and say, put a curse on this person. I, I need them dead. I need them out of my life. I need them to just, they're, they're bothering me or they're a terrible neighbor, or they keep praying, whatever it may have been. He wanted them out of their lives, and he would put a curse on them, and he would see them die. But he said finally one time somebody came to him and said, you've got to take care of my neighbor here. She's a Christian, and I can't stand her. She, you just got to get her out of my life. Please kill her. Have her destroyed and just get her out. And he said he he did what he always did. He, he prayed, prayed a curse over this woman. And he said he forgot about it and said, okay, well, this is what's going to happen just like always. She'll end up dying or whatever happens. You know, go away, get sick, and, and go to the hospital, whatever it may have been. But he just went through his regular routine. And he said that the person came back, though, and said, nothing's happened. What are you doing? Are, 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 you, are you putting this spell on them? Are you are you doing what, what you said you would do? What's happened? And he said, I don't know. So he went to check it out further and come to find out, he said, this was a blood-washed Christian. And Satan himself came back to him and said, I can't touch her. We have no power over her. Whatever you're praying, all these principalities that you're trying to unleash on her, I have no power over her. That's the power that we've got, church. That's the power that every one of us Holy Ghost filled have sitting right here tonight. Do you know the power that we have? He said, I have nothing I can do. He said, there's nothing I can do. The demons came back and said, we have no power, nothing that we can do. So he started thinking, well, what what does that mean? What is this God? Who is this God that's done this? How does this happen? I've never heard of this power. I thought I had all this power. I've destroyed all these lives in these neighborhoods. I've put all these curses on all these places, these principalities and destroyed things. I've had so much power that I've known. And he said, what is this? And he started to look into it. He started to seek God. He started to, to, to read the scriptures and pray. And God came And spoke to him, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way but me. I have more power than all those things that you've prayed to in the past. I have more power than all those things. And he started to change his life. And say, wait a second, this is a new way. If I thought I had all this power before, and this has more power, then why am I living this life? What is this? And he started to change his life. Go to church and seek God. And he talks about an encounter with Satan and how he was attacked heavily, as Satan will do when we start to turn our eyes upon God. And he said he came at him and came at him and came at him. And finally he said he learned that Satan was afraid that he was going to reveal all the secrets, which he began to do. And he talks about things that he was instructed to do for, the, for Satan. So it changed his life. That's the truth. That's the power of God over the princess. Over the strongholds of the enemy. That's the power of God. Another story I think of is T.W. Barnes, a story I heard the evangelist Lee Stoneking tell about him. He said that there was a night that T.W. Barnes was was in his home and, and had been studying the Word of God, praising and, 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 and praying to the Lord. And he got a phone call from a witch that said, T. W. Barnes, I'm casting a spell on you. You're that preacher. And I know what you're doing and what you're doing and you're saving people. And I'm going to cast a spell on you right now that's going to come to your house tonight. And it's going to wear you down. It's going to be a spirit of tiresome. And it's going to wear you down and deteriorate you so much it's going to kill you ultimately. You're going to be so tired and so weakened it's going to kill you. And he said, all right, we'll send him over and hung up on her. <laughs> Amen. So he said about 2 o'clock in the morning he woke up to a freezing cold room. He said he knew what it was. And this is the power we have, church. He said, devil, get over here. And he sat on the edge of his bed and he said, I know I have that power because I use the name of Jesus and I have the blood of Jesus on my life. And he said, I know how I have that power to say, devil, get over here and it's got to come over here because I said it in the name of Jesus. So the enemy has to respond to that. And he said, I'm going to tell you what to do. You're going to go back to where that spell came from, and you're going to do the same thing to them. And he said about six hours later, that same witch called him and said, Brother Barnes, you've got to do something. You've got to do something about this spirit. It's attacking me, and it's all over me, and I can't get it off of me. And you've got to take care of this thing and get this thing off of me. That's the spirit of God. That's the power of God. Amen. Hallelujah. And I'll just say one more story of, uh, of something I felt and, and had happened in my, in my own life 10 years ago or so. Coming back to God, and, and, and you know if you've been away from God, when you start to come back, you're going to be attacked by the enemy. And he's going to come at you. And I just uh, remember one night, middle of the night, pitch dark room, can't see your hand in front of your face or whatever, I woke up. You know how you feel attacked sometimes in your sleep, whatever it was. Something woke me up and I saw in a pitch black room a silhouette of a figure standing over me that was even darker than the, the pitch black room. Even darker than that, and I knew what that was at that time. And all I had to do was call on the name of Jesus. All we have to do is call on the name of Jesus, and Satan has to flee. Demons tremble, and hell trembles when we call on the name of Jesus. That's all I had to do, and that's the power that we have in His name, church. That's the power that we have that we can call on. So there's no reason to be afraid when we see. The enemy attacking us or attacking our families, attacking our children. That's the power that we have in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. That deserves a hand clap. The name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus, we thank you for your name. Being able to call that name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. But the princess has a grip on our society. The princess has a grip on our society in ways that we didn't ask for, in ways that we didn't even know were going to happen, things that came up in our lives and in our culture that we don't even know about. We don't even know where it came from, how it got here. It's just our walk of life now. Brother Diaz put it so great last week. And a lot of these things don't even have to be the bad things that we know, the bad things that as a a, a Christ follower, a a blood-washed, Holy Ghost-filled saint of God that we know we just turn from that I don't acknowledge that I don't live that way I don't I don't engage in those conversations or I don't do that I don't go to those bars I don't participate in those things some of the things we just know some of those things we we just turn our back from naturally but there's plenty of things in our lives some of that are even good and like brother Diaz said God has become a good thing among many good things some of the things in our lives that our culture has put into us caused our hectic day-to-day lives, caused our minds to be taken away from God. Those things are what the enemy is using. Jezebel, the princess, doesn't care if, if you're not doing those bad things. But if your time is distracted and you're caught up in the culture, keeping up with your neighbors, keeping up with all the things that you've got to do to keep your bank account full, all those things, then Jezebel is happy that you're caught up into that. That it's keeping you away from God. It's keeping you away from the word of God. It's keeping you from his presence. So the princess is happy keeping you distracted by those things. Some of those things are good. What I fear is our prayer time, our closet prayer time with, alone with God has turned into casual conversations with God on our commutes to work. Or casual conversations with God while we get ready for work, trying to worry about our day and what's coming next and what we're gonna to do today and what's gonna happen, and is this deal gonna get closed? And is this my boss gonna be on me today? What's my gonna day be like? What's my day gonna be like? That's what our conversations with God have turned into. We've closed those closet doors, church, and we've turned to that. Waking up in the morning getting ready for work or whatever it may be, taking care of our kids, thinking, Lord. Please bless us today. And that's the most that we have a conversation with God all day. Trading in our fasting for fast food. Taking away anything that can get us close to God. For our fast food, just driving and getting through the day and say, what am I going to do today? How can, I, how can I get something today that's just going to make me get to the next destination, to the next place? Let's just go through this drive through I don't fast anymore. I don't know. I don't have time for that. I have to keep up with things. I have to keep, keep food in my body. Our personal study time, our time alone in this word that we should take, our devotion time each night turned in for movie night. Turned in for television time. Turned in for social media time. That's what I'm afraid our culture has done to us. Because I see these missionaries come through and they say they're in these third world countries or these poor nations. And they say these people are the happiest people I've ever been around. These people are so dedicated to God. Why are they so happy when they have nothing but we have so much? Is it because we're ready to get to that next destination, that next accomplishment, that next feat in our life? Closing the prayer closet door and just having a casual conversation with God, if a conversation at all. That's what, I, that's what we've turned into. I'm afraid that's what our culture has done to us. Again, it doesn't have to be bad things. It can be just our day-to-day lives. Making sure that my retirement account is going to be where it needs to be. Making sure my bank account is where it ha- is right now. Making sure I got an edge on my coworker so I can get that promotion. I'm afraid we've traded our kids in too. Have we sacrificed our kids to make them be the best athlete, the best student, have the best project? Have the best parties. Are we, pre- are we pleading God's blood over them each day? Are we praying, Lord God, anoint their life. Anoint their life to do your work, Jesus. Or are we too caught up in saying they got to be the best. They got to be the best student. I'm going to go spend all the money on making them have the best coaches and the best equipment. Or I'm going to make sure that they have the best party, they have the best clothes in the school. Or are we praying over them each day and showing them what matters most is God and the kingdom of God? Are we showing them, oh, child, here, you've got to see this way. None of that stuff matters. It's forever. It's the eternal kingdom is what matters. That's what I want to show you, child. That's what I want to show my daughter. And I want to live it at home. I can't just live it here in the church pews. I want to live it at home and them see that every day of my life, praying, praying together, taking their hand and praying. Saying this isn't something we just do once a week or a couple times a week. This is the way we live our lives. Have we sacrificed our children to the culture of being the best? Jesus, help us. (laughs) Have Have we given up hearing the voice of God? speaking the promises of God into our children and into our own lives? Have we given all that up for the culture, for the princess, the loudest voice in our life? Is that what we've turned to? Is that what we're listening to the most? Is that what is loudest in our life? If we go a day, church, without having some serious time of prayer or in God's presence, we've given into the princess that day. If we go a day Just focused on the next thing. And I know I get it. I I get it. Brother Brian says often, teacher, teach thyself. And I'm saying that right now to you, church. Because trust me, ever since God put this on my heart, I've been to the altar many times about it. Because it's what we've grown into. It's not our fault. We didn't ask for this. We didn't ask to wake up each day in a competitive life. In a competitive job front. Brother Aaron and I have talked about it before, and I think Brother Aaron's mentioned it too. A few years ago in a, in a training, sales training uh, um, seminar for work, it was nothing that we hear, nothing that we see in this book, nothing that we read about in this book. Actually, they flashed on the screen multiple times greed is good, greed is good. Everything was talking about just take, 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 advance yourself, advance yourself. Advance yourself. Do what's best for you. Whatever, ha- whatever cost, advance yourself. Nothing about what's right. Nothing about the kingdom of God. Nothing about eternal things. Nothing about the good things of God. And everybody was eating it up. Ready to go out and do it. Brother Aaron and I looked at each other like, wow, is that anything like what we're supposed to be doing? Is that anything about like what we, see, what we hear in church when we go to church? No, it's not. But I'm afraid that's what culture has done to us. That's why these third world countries that have nothing, they don't have this culture coming against them. They don't have the princess speaking in their life every day saying, this is what matters. This is going to distract you. This is going to take you out of your prayer closet. This is going to take you from your fasting. This is going to keep you from reading your Bible today. I'm going to distract you all day. It doesn't have to be those bad things, but I'm going to distract you all day and take your mind so far away from God. When you get home at the end of the day, you can't think about anything but eating and going to bed and sleeping. No time for God. No time for the prophet. The prophet's voice has gone quiet. The word of God has gone quiet in our lives. Our prayer, that still small voice that we have to hear, has gone quiet. Why did the shepherds, why, why were so many mighty men of God that were used of God shepherds? What else are you going to hear when you're out in a field with nothing but a bunch of sheep and a beautiful sky at night? You're going to hear that still small voice when you're there and you're seeking God and you're wanting to hear the voice of God and not caught up in trying to get ahead and beating everybody else and being the best on your block, having the best house, having the best car, or having the best job in your, in your office, making the most money, all these things that the princess has told us. That's what matters to your life. That's what matters in this world. That's what matters in this country. We've given up on the prophet. We've given up on the the voice of God that speaks to us that we have to rely on every day for our children, the blood of God, the blood of Jesus over our families, over our lives. I plead the blood of Jesus over my daughter, my wife, and my family every day because we don't know the enemy is out to attack us. The enemy is out to destroy us just like I talked about at the beginning. The enemy is coming at you every day. And if the princess can distract you enough, That gets you so far away from the word of God and that still small voice, what have we left? What have we left but just to get through each day? Go to bed, wake up, as late as we can wake up, get to work, grind it out, make sure we get that last sale, make sure we make that last call, make sure we do the best job, whatever it is, to get ahead in this world and what we call this society in America. That's what we're facing and at our, at our very best, are we like the hundred prophets that were in a cave that Obadiah hid? At our very best, can we hope for that maybe? A hundred prophets all the while that this culture is taking place and the princess is putting this on Israel. A hundred prophets are hidden in caves. Meanwhile, Elijah is out fighting. Elijah is out still preaching the word of God, still teaching, still prophesying over Israel saying, no, it's God, it's God, it's God, it's Yahweh, that's still our God. Why are a hundred prophets hidden in a cave? What are they doing in a cave? The culture drove them there. The princess drove them there. The fear of the princess drove them there. The culture drove them there. They're not out prophesying anymore. They're not out taking the word of God anymore. They're just hidden in a cave. Meanwhile, there's one still fighting, one trying to praise God and to keep preaching the gospel and to pre- keep preaching Yahweh to, the, to Israel. Meanwhile, they're hidden caves. Is that what we do each day? When we go to work, we still get involved in certain conversations that maybe we shouldn't have. Maybe our cave, we leave everything at home. We leave everything where, where it is that we don't you know, want anybody to know what we stand for. I know I work for a bank, so I know that you have to be careful for what you say. But I'm not going to give up on what I believe in. I'm not going to not stand for what I believe in. I'm not going to still speak for what I believe in. So when somebody asks me what I think about something, if they open up that conversation, I'm going to share with them what the Word of God says and what the prophet says and what the still small voice says. I want to speak that. I'm not going to give up on that. I'm not going to keep that back here in a cave and say, no, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not, I'm not going to talk about that in my workplace. I'm not going to talk about that when I'm getting a haircut or when I'm in the grocery store and I have an opportunity to share God with somebody. I'm going to still speak it. I want to be like Elijah out there, still speaking it, still speaking the word of God. Or have we hidden in a cave and and become so many that that come to a church and come to the service every day, sit in the pew, but are dead because culture has worn us out so much. We have been beaten down by culture and saying, well, you don't add up. You don't stack up to this. You don't stack up to your coworker or your neighbor or what society is saying you should have. I'm not going to make it. I don't add up to my friends. You know, they keep telling me all the things that they're getting. So... We feel like we can't even add up to that. So we come in and we just give up on God altogether. We give up on hearing the word of God, hearing that still small voice. And we come in and we just sit in a pew, service after service, still not hearing the word of God, still not hearing that still small voice. Because it's back in a cave somewhere. We left it. We left it because culture ate us up. We, we want so badly to come in here on Sunday mornings and see, and see miracle signs and wonders. But it takes us 30 to 45 minutes just to get the voice of the princess out of our head. Because we're already thinking about lunch. We're already thinking about the game. We're already thinking about the week. And we don't even see anything happening. God's ready to move and perform these miracles every time we come in this place. But we can't get that voice of the princess out of our head. It's with us the whole way to church. We come in. We, we sit down and the, and the musicians and everything gets playing and it's wearing off little by little. But by the time it happens and the word is spoken, we're already thinking where we're going to go to lunch. There's a song by Casting Crowns from the altar to the door. Yes, How far does it go with us? Teacher, teach thyself. I'm speaking to myself right now to church. What are we doing? Is culture eating us alive. We say miracle signs and wonders. We want to see them. We want to see him. We pray for him. But when we come in here, we're still thinking about the princess. We're still thinking about the car we saw on the way here that I want to upgrade to. Or the house that we saw on the way here that I really like that house. My house isn't good enough. My car isn't good enough. My job isn't good enough. We see the dresses or the suits that other people wear. Well, why can't I get that? I need that. Caught up in the culture. Caught up in the voice of the princess. Not hearing the still small voice of God saying, no. I created you. You're the way I want you to be. Don't give up on who you are. Be who you are. Be the way I created you as an individual. I have something special for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what I have for you. But we've hid in caves for far too long. Meanwhile, Elijah is out there fighting, fighting the princess, fighting the culture, still speaking against Against the princess, still speaking against the strongholds and the principalities and the idols of Baal, still speaking against it. Meanwhile, even Elijah grows wary. If there was a, a poll taken right now of the most powerful prophets in the in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, I would say that uh, Elijah would get quite a few votes. He would certainly be in the Hall of Fame of Prophets, a powerful man, powerful man powerful prophet but even he grew weary even the culture started to wear on him to where he said Lord God I am but one I am but one I'm the only one left and God said no there are 7,000 more that have not bowed to Baal that's what we have to remember you are not alone we're together and those those hundred that are stuck in the cave and dead in the pews let's lift them up when we see them Let's notice them in this church and in this service and say, no, God has something better for you. If you see somebody that needs prayed for, pray for him. Speak life into them. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's not forget who our God is. And he's mightier than Jezebel. He's mightier than the princess. The prophet's voice should be louder than the princess. Let's speak that into one another. Even if you see someone that doesn't even seem like they need it. Praise God, let's lift one another up. We're in this together. I don't want all hundred of us to be in a cave. I want us to be out with with Elijah fighting. I want us to be out with him fighting this princess, fighting this culture, standing together one with another, arm in arm, fighting against this culture of the princess, hearing that still small voice together. Lift one another up. Hallelujah, Jesus. And Elijah, again, grew weary himself. So weary that as we read, it drove him, drove him away to go hide. And I find it interesting that he he goes to Beersheba, which is in Judah. A place that God was still holding on to. A place that King Asa was still trying to serve God. And still keep out those false idols in Judah. We have to have a place that we can go a refuge away from this culture. We have to have a refuge away from this culture. Even Elisha grew weary and said, I've got to go. I'm fleeing for my life. And I know there's times each day that we all get there. Each week, whatever, we go through seasons when we're like, I can't handle it anymore. I've got to flee. And even Elisha said, just take my life, Lord. I can't handle it anymore. I know we all get there sometimes, but we have to have a refuge that we can go to, and that's a prayer closet that we can go to, and we can seek God and hear that still small voice and say, no, I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die and lay here today and say, that's it. I'm done. I'm over when God has something else for us to do. When God has more for our life. When God has more for this church. When God has more for our youth. When God has more for our elders. When God has more for each one of us. Hallelujah. He has more, church. He has more for each one of us. We can't let the culture eat us up. We can't let it take us to a place where we're going to say, that's it. I'm over I'm hanging it up just take my life Lord because I can't handle it that's not that's not what we can do anymore that's not what God has for us fight against this princess fight against this culture fight against this day-to-day grind and understand I've got to hear that still small voice in my life I've got to hear it it's the only way It's the only way that I'm going to get through this day-to-day life. It's the only way I'm going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's the only way I'm going to lift my brother up. It's the only way I'm going to come and take those hundred out of the cave and say, no, don't be hidden in there. There's more out here. We have to fight together and come against this attack that the people of God are facing. Israel needs us. The church needs us. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. And I do just want to end on, on, on what God what God sees a, a, as what he thinks of Jezebel and the princess. If you could pull up those last scriptures, this is what God says about the princess. And it's 2 Kings 9 and 30. And when Jehu was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her face and tired her head and looked out at a window. And as Jehu entered in at the gate, she said unto Hadzimri, Peace, who slew his master. And he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? And there looked out to him two or three eunuchs. And he said, Throw her down. So they threw her down, and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses, and he trode under her foot. And when he was come in, He did eat and drink and said, Go ye now this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. And they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Wherefore they came again and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servant Elijah, the Tishbite, saying, In the portion of Jezreel shall Dogs eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the carcass of Jezebel shall be as dung upon the face of the field and the portion of Jezreel, so that they shall not say, this is Jezebel. What I talked about at the very beginning, the power that we have over the attacks of the enemy, the power that we have in the name of Jesus, the power of God over the enemy that's coming against us, the culture that we face every day, that power that we have, we see right there what God thinks of Jezebel. Trampled underfoot. Walked over. Jehu wasn't perfect, but he was definitely anointed by the prophet Elisha. And that's what happened when a prophet anoints a man of God to come into the culture. Jezebel gets trampled underfoot. The princess gets trampled underfoot. And I know we've heard the last week, this morning, the last week, about about this, a similar message. Things taking our minds, things taking our attention, idols that we've been putting up. Just like Baal, this culture has so many idols that we're serving each day, that we're giving our lives to each day. And I, I don't know if you feel what I feel and what I felt preparing for this message is I just want God. I don't want these strongholds. I don't want these idols, strongholds that Brother Fazel talked about today. I don't want these idols. I don't want the voice of the princess to overpower the voice of God in my life. I don't want the voice of the princess to cause that still small voice to go away in my life. And I feel like what we've heard the last week, God wants to cap off tonight. And I feel like God has shown me that there's some people that haven't been to an altar in a long time. And God's calling them to an altar tonight to cast these things down, to get rid of these things. And if we can just stand for a minute, can we raise our hands to the Lord Jesus? Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. God's calling us, church, to a new day, to a new time. And I do believe these are the end times. We've heard it. We've heard it for a long time. But I believe we're there. And I believe God wants to do something with his church in the United States that has been bound up by culture. And a culture that has taken us away from God. That we don't see the miracle signs and wonders that we come to each Sunday morning saying we want to see. But not understanding why we don't see it. Meanwhile, we're not prayed up when we come in. We're not in prayer before we drive to church. We're not in prayer each day. God wants to to use us. He wants to use this country. He wants to use this church, this congregation right here. And I want you to come to the altar tonight and seek him tonight. We need to seek his face tonight. And if you haven't been to an altar in a long time, God's calling you. And I just pray that we come together tonight and seek him and ask him to cast down those high places. To ask him to cast down those idols that we've put in front of us. To cast down that culture that has taken a grip of our life. And taken a hold of our life. And said, this is what matters the most. Sure, you go to church. Sure, you pray when you're driving to work. Sure, you pray when you have a minute or two. But have you been in the presence of God in a long time, how long has it been? He's calling us to an altar tonight, church. I'm going to ask you to come forward. We finished early so we can have some time to seek him out tonight. We finished early tonight to let his presence come forth. His presence matters more than what I can say right now because he has a work to do in each one of us. Let's seek him right now. Me close to you, she never Hallelujah. let me go. Hallelujah. I lay it all down again. i to hear you say.